welcome to A-Minder, a podcast where we summarize the latest publications on neurodegenerative disease research so that you can stay up to date with the newest findings. Every month, our team of scientists will sort and organize the titles into themes and present shortened versions of the abstracts. We'll make sure to mention the title, the journal, the first author, and the last author for each publication. Whether you're in the lab, on the bus, or cooking your meal, we hope you find this podcast helpful. Hello everyone, Sarah here again, recording from Vancouver, British Columbia. My script says it's cold and rainy based on the forecast from a few days ago, but it's actually nice and sunny today, quieter than usual. Hopefully you won't hear as much noise as in the last episode I recorded, and that would be the one on neuroinflammation and glial cells. Or perhaps it is this new mic that we just got. We're brainstorming names for our microphone, so if you have ideas, tweet them at us. You never know. It is a pleasure to be back on the air and on a topic that is close to my interests. Today I'll be covering the papers pertaining to amyloid beta aggregation and APP processing as contributors to disease mechanisms in Alzheimer's disease. These are papers that were published in June 2020 and that we sorted under disease mechanisms in AD. Consider the spotlight on amyloid protein with a big focus on the amyloid cascade hypothesis. This is a hypothesis I operated a lot on um, during my grad studies. In fact, one of my projects revolved around amyloid beta aggregation kinetics in vitro, so this feels like a trip to the past. The papers I'm presenting today were summarized by Clay Shu. He is my lab mate, a very motivated PhD candidate in the Cashman lab. He also studies amyloid beta aggregation, but unfortunately you won't hear him today. You're stuck with me. But a big shout out to him for laying the groundwork for this episode. Note that we left the papers on amyloid beta-mediated toxicity for another episode. Make sure to listen to it when it comes out as it nicely complements this one. Before I start, I want to make a few announcements. We are on the gram. Look for aminder.podcast and follow us on Instagram. I have also just started using the aminder Twitter account. I know, I'm late to the party. This platform is actually quite addictive. Following us on social media ensures you stay on top of our new releases and you get some sneak peeks and behind the scenes shots. This also really helps us. Also, as you follow along this episode, if a paper catches your interest, take note of the time and look for the references in our bibliography through our timestamps. More details on how to subscribe to our mailing list in our notes down below. And now, without further ado, I shall present our first section of this episode. APP processing. If you're new to this field, you may have heard of amyloid beta plaques, one of the hallmarks of Alzheimer's disease. Now, amyloid beta is a cleavage product of amyloid precursor protein, which is processed by secretases. We have alpha, beta, gamma secretase, and amyloid beta is a baby product of beta and gamma secretases. Throughout this episode, I'll be referring to amyloid precursor protein as APP, and amyloid beta as A-beta for simplicity. This month, uh, we have five papers in this cluster, starting with one titled DCF1 alleviates C99 mediated deficits in Drosophila by reducing the cleavage of C99. 
It was published by Li, first author and last author is Wen, in Biochemical and Biophysical Research Communications. This group looked at the effects of dendritic cell factor 1, DCF1, on gamma secretases processing of APP-C terminal fragment C99 to A-beta. So for simplicity, they're looking at uh, the way the C-terminal of APP is processed by uh, gamma secretase. They use transgenic fruit fly expressing C99, C-terminal fragment C99, and they found that when there was more dendritic cell factor 1, there was less C99 cleavage. This rescued motor function and memory impairment and prolonged lifespan. On the other hand, increasing C99 levels suppressed DCF1 activity. Now, our second paper here uses cell cultures with a focus on developing a method for studying disease mechanisms, and is titled A Three-Dimensional Alzheimer's Disease Cell Culture Model Using iPSC-Derived Neurons Carrying A246E Mutation in PSEN1. It was published in Frontiers in Cellular Neuroscience by Hernandez Sapiens, first author, and last author Canales Aguirre. This group laid out the protocol for generating induced pluripotent stem cells, or iPSCs for simplicity, uh, from the fibroblasts of an Alzheimer's disease patient. This patient carried the A246E mutation in the A-beta-producing enzyme PSEN1. Note that PSEN1 is part of gamma secretase. They showed differentiation of these iPSCs in a 3D environment and confirmed this using neural marker expressions. These neurons produced A-beta oligomers as proven by Western blot. This work established a new potential cell culture model for studying A-beta and developing personalized therapy. The next paper focuses on gamma secretases as well, but using computational simulation. It was published in ACS Chemical Neuroscience by first author Patarai and last author is Miao. And it's titled The Mechanisms of Gamma Secretase Activation and Substrate Processing. Short title. The aim of this work was to better understand the catalytic processes during gamma secretase cleavage of APP. To do this, this group used computer simulation to model enzyme-substrate interaction. APP-carrying different mutations were modeled, and the result products were predicted. Using mass spectrometry and Western blot, the authors showed high level of agreement between the prediction and actual experimental result. The combinatorial approach allowed for identification of important structures in gamma secretase. This would facilitate future rational drug design. I'm always impressed when I see work that uses computational models because that's something I don't know how to do and it sounds super mysterious and high-tech to me. I wonder how much time and resources we would save if we developed models good enough to move away from cell and animal work. Sounds utopic, I don't know. But if this is something you're currently working on or with, We'd love to hear from you. Shoot us an email or tweet at us or something. Like, find a way to tell us about this very cool work you do. Okay, another paper on APP cleavage enzyme called ARCAN1 inhibits base 2 turnover by attenuating proteasome-mediated base 2 degradation. It was published in Biomed Research International 
by first author Q and last author Wu. So previously, there seems to be work pointing at regulator of calcineurin 1 increasing beta site APP cleaving enzyme expression. This enzyme would be base 1, if you're familiar with the field, and regulator of calcineurin 1 in this abstract is actually ARCAN1, which you would have heard in the title. But here, this group looked into whether the homologue of base 1, looking at base 2, is also increased. So rather than looking at interactions between ARCAN1 and base 1, they're looking at ARCAN1 and base 2 expression. The results showed ARCAN1 not only increased base 2 expression, but also suppressed base 2 degradation by proteasome. This work sheds light on a new mechanism of dysregulation in Alzheimer's disease. The next paper also touches on BASE-1 and was published in Cell Death and Disease by Kim, first author, and last author is Han. You'll find it under the title, it's a long title, brace yourselves, Sodium Butyrate Inhibits High Cholesterol-Induced Neuronal Amyloidogenesis by Modulating NRF2 Stabilization-Mediated ROS Levels. Two dots. Involvement of NOX2 and SOD1. SOD1 stands for superoxide dismutase 1, and ROS would be a reactive oxygen species, and NOX refers to NADPH oxidase, just for reference. In this paper, this group is interested in how obesity can be a risk factor for Alzheimer's disease based on current literature of gut, microbial flora, and neurodegeneration. Oh, that's interesting. We actually have another episode on gut microbiota and comorbidities, so watch out for that one coming out. So comorbidities would be under modifiable risk factors, which Nyla already covered, uh, but we have one on mitochondrial dysfunction, metabolism, and the gut coming out very soon, so tune in for that. So here, sodium butyrate recently emerged as molecule of therapeutic interest and the group studied its effects on A-beta generation under high cholesterol level. All the while, they also simulated normal gut microbial flora disturbance in obesity. Obese mice had more A-beta levels in the brain, and a subsequent cell culture study showed decreased expression of the A-beta producing enzyme base 1, and this was induced by high cholesterol with sodium butyrate application. So there are a lot of playing agents here. <laughs> we're looking at A-beta, we're looking at base 1, cholesterol, and sodium butyrate. Further experiments illustrate sodium butyrate inhibition of A-beta accumulation through decreased reactive oxygen species production. And ROS, so reactive oxygen species, production rises sharply under high cholesterol condition. This seems to happen by suppressing NOx2 expression and increasing SOD1 level. The authors confirmed that lowering of A-beta level depends on decreasing ROS production through SOD1 silencing. They concluded the regulatory effect of sodium butyrate involves lowering ROS level through NOx2 and SOD1. This leads to the inhibition of base-1-dependent A-beta production under high cholesterol level. Wow, yeah, like I said, a lot of moving pieces here. 
I feel like I'm gonna need to draw this on a diagram to plot the interactions between these different proteins and uh, how sodium butyrate interacts with all of this and how cholesterol comes into play because I'm personally a very visual person, which is funny because I'm recording a podcast, uh, but I like to complement my learning with diagrams. So that's probably what I'll do with this abstract later. And you know what? I'm sorry, I lied to you. There are not five papers. There are six papers in this cluster. And I'm going to just add this one last before the break. It's uh, called Emulate Beta Protein Precursor Regulates Depolarization-Induced Calcium-Mediated Synaptic Signaling in Brain Slices. Uh, it does focus on APP more so than the other papers that I presented. And this one you'll find published in the Journal of Alzheimer's Disease by first author Shadzi Stavraki and last author is Ephemiopoulos. This group examined the role of APP in synapse formation and in the depolarization-induced vesicle release in mouse cerebral brain slices. In other words, they're looking into a calcium-dependent process involving phosphorylation of, um, you may be familiar with CAMK2, they looked at ERK and CREB. The results showed decreased CAMK2 and ERK phosphorylation when APP was absent. This phenomenon was affected by the inhibition of certain types of voltage-gated calcium channels. CREB phosphorylation experienced minimal change as phospho-ERK carries out the process. Decreasing APP in cortical neurons also resulted in a slower response to depolarization and calcium. And all of this pointed to a regulatory role on synaptic signaling by APP through voltage-gated calcium channels. This ties our section on APP and APP processing, and going further in the cascade, we will next look at amyloid protein aggregation after a short break. Hi again! Now on to our second cluster in this episode. It's a very long one with 19 papers. Ah. But you know what? I'll try my best to keep it interesting. This is where you'll hear about oligomers, protofibrils, fibrils, plaques. Okay, wait, that sounded boring. Again, this is where you'll hear about oligomers, protofibrils, fibrils, and plaques. How was that? <laughs> Something that often came up in my conversations with other scientists when I spoke about my project is that often didn't seem apparent that amyloid beta aggregates come in different forms, which I think is actually a very important component of the amyloid beta cascade hypothesis. Other things you may want to keep in mind are the distinctions between uh, different uh, truncated versions of amyloid beta with, let's say, amyloid beta 1 to 40, or uh, the fuller form that you'll see more often, amyloid beta 1 to 42, which is a teeny bit bigger and can have different effects compared to truncated versions of amyloid beta. You may also notice that some people talk about soluble versus insoluble aggregates, and you might come across terms like dimers versus trimers or tetramers, etc. Um, these are just pointers I wanted to throw in before I start because they seem like details in the beginning, but they can actually have a huge impact on your work. Now, starting with a paper titled Alzheimer's Disease, 
unraveling ApoE4 binding to amyloid beta peptide and lipids with molecular dynamics and quantum mechanics. It was published by one author, Gillet or Gillette, in the Journal of Biomolecular Structure and Dynamics. ApoE4 is part of a family of proteins involved in lipid processing and is a predictor of late-onset AD. If you want to hear more about it, you should listen to our episode on biomarkers, which will be hosted by Ellen R. and should be coming out later this month. In this paper, the authors try to understand how differences between ApoE isoforms contribute to A-beta transport and AD progression. Yeah, you should definitely listen to the other episode on biomarkers if you're interested in this. A-beta binding to ApoE4 when compared to ApoE3 leads to misfolding of ApoE4 and A-beta deposition, which worsens in the presence of lipids. The group proposes immunotherapy targeting ApoE4 as a potential drug design avenue, though only possible in the absence of lipid, and they also propose gene therapy as an alternative due to a single nucleotide difference between ApoE3 and ApoE4 encoded gene. The next paper is called Redox-Dependent Copper Ion Modulation of Amyloid Beta 1 to 42 aggregation in vitro. The first author is Sasanian, and last author is S. Bjornner, and you'll find this paper published in Biomolecules. That's the name of the journal. Now, despite the clear link between copper ion and deposition of A beta in AD plaques, the process is still unclear. This group looked into the effects of A beta copper interaction at pH 8 through theoretical and biophysical methods. They find that the copper ion, uh, copper 2 plus, inhibits assembly, while the ion copper 1 plus <laughs> actually promotes this. Huh? Such a small distinction, and yet such a big difference. They model the kinetics of assembly and find that the copper ion 2 plus mainly inhibits fibril growth with pH dependence, and this peaks at pH 6. This effect was negligible at pH 5, uh, which is similar to lysosome interior, while copper 1 plus increases aggregation by assisting primary nucleation, and this promotes dimer formation. Well, like even the pH had a huge effect. Man, this is what I was talking about with paying attention to details with amyloid beta. When I started, my direct supervisor in the lab told me was lovingly called the protein from hell. It quickly became apparent why, because of these tiny details that can have a huge impact on your work. Like even how I shook it, how you shake your preparation can have an impact on what kind of oligomers you have at the end. Ah, nightmares. <laughs> and also like the environment in which you prepare your oligomers can have a huge impact on them, like what we're seeing here. And if this is something you're interested in, and specifically if you're interested in copper and AD, you can check out our two episodes on modifiable risk factors from June 2020. Because I remember Nyla touching on this a few times in those episodes. There are also two papers on this in our episode on neuroinflammation and glial cells, if you're interested in copper and inflammation. Now, moving on to a paper that also looks at metals and AD, but not zinc, not copper, we're looking at iron. You'll find it under the title, 
iron stored in ferritin is chemically reduced in the presence of aggregating A-beta-1242. It was published by first author Everett, or Everett, and last author is Telling, and you'll find it in scientific reports. You'll see um, quite a few papers today that were published in scientific reports. Now, first easing in, the authors point that low oxidation state iron leads to increased oxidative stress in AD. This is why they want to better understand the formation of these abnormal states and examine how a beta peptide interacts with the iron storage protein ferritin. X-ray spectromicroscopy and electron microscopy reveal that a beta ferritin binding, so when they bind each other, leads to the conversion of the core of ferritin to a low oxidation state. This finding shows A-beta involvement in iron-mediated oxidative stress and a possible treatment target. Now, the next paper in this cluster is titled Comparison of Synthetic Neuronal Model Membrane Mimics in Amyloid Aggregation at Atomic Resolution. First author being Bira, and last author being Punia, and this one's also published in scientific reports. Previous evidence shows that membrane-facilitated misfolding of A-beta induces disruption of blood-brain barrier. So, this group looks at how lipid membrane promotes A-beta aggregation, and what are the consequences of this. Normal blood-brain barrier membrane is compared to a synthetic neuronal membrane model in the presence of A-beta-40 peptide. Both systems accelerated A-beta-40 aggregation, but with different peptide structural change profiles over time. This was in a composition-dependent manner, and it led to a disruption of cellular processes. Note, the study was on amyloid beta-1240, and I'm glad they mentioned this in the abstract because it's not always apparent until you check the methods. Here's another one that focuses on A-beta-1240. Its title is A Novel A-beta-40 Assembly at Physiological Concentration. It was also published in scientific reports by first author Tahe Beji, last author is Ying. And this group identified a new pathway for A-beta aggregation through interaction with lipid membrane structure. Oh, another paper on tracting with membranes. Okay, using microscopy and fluorescence, they found that aggregation occurs quickly on a scale of hours to days at subphysiological A-beta concentration. I wonder what they mean by subphysiological, like if they're looking at oligomers, are we looking at picomolar concentrations? I don't know, I'll have to check the methods of the paper. And this was in areas with high membrane curvature. So what they saw was saw in areas of high membrane curvature, and these locations may serve to catalyze the formation of small oligomers leading to rapid formation of key AD pathology. Now, still along the amyloid beta-1240 train, uh, the following paper was published in Biomolecules by Cheng, first author, last author is Kyung, and the title is Fibrilization of 40 Residue Beta Amyloid Peptides in Membrane-like Environments Leads to Different Fibril Structures and Reduced Molecular Polymorphisms. In this paper, the authors try to address the current ambiguity 
in A beta 40 fibril derived from human tissue. This is just like my attempt at simplifying what's coming next, because this isn't just it. That was just the incomplete <laughs> simplified version. Now that you're mentally prepared, wait for it. This is what they did. They looked at solid state nuclear magnetic resonance spectroscopy derived structure of A beta 40 fibrils from human tissue. And you'll hear this a bit in this abstract, uh, or you'll read it a bit in this paper. They're looking at solid state nuclear magnetic resonance as a uh, method here. And it's highly sensitive to solvent condition. The experiment revealed a significant deviation in fibril structure formed in the presence of membrane compared to formation in solution alone. The composition of membrane did not affect the solid-state nuclear magnetic resonance profile of the grown fibrils, and this implicates the importance of membranes in A beta 40 fibril formation. Okay, amyloid beta aggregation in membranes. I see a pattern here. No, a paper on, oh, guess what? Amyloid beta 1240 and the bilayer membrane. It is titled Dimerization of A beta 40 inside dipalmetoylphosphatidylcholine bilayer <laughs> and its effects on bilayer integrity. Atomistic simulation at three temperatures. It was published in a journal called Proteins by Cargar, first author, last author is Fazli. Hold on, I'm looking at the labs this paper come from. Not just this paper, actually all the other papers along this cluster. And it's cool to see they're in different parts of the world. Like earlier I presented one that was published in the UK, one from India, US, this one's from Iran. Yeah, it's not like these papers were published in the same lab, which is pretty cool to see some, um, you know, ag not agreement, but there's a common theme here this month. And it's not just in one area, it's like different labs that are unrelated. It's cool. Okay, in this paper, the authors build upon their previous experiment with individual A beta 40 peptide in membrane. And previously they had used monomers, if that's of interest to you. This time they further look at the interaction between two A beta 40 monomers and subsequent dimer formation user computer simulation. So if you're not familiar with the term dimer, they're just like, yeah, two monomers, like they just said. Trimer will be three, tetramer will be four, and so on. A beta 40 N-terminus plays a big role in dimerization, while the C-terminus is bound to membrane. Peptides move two-dimensionally on the membrane with occasional insertions, but no dissociation from the membrane was observed, uh, suggesting that membrane surface increases aggregation rate through increased peptide interactions. Both A beta 40 monomer and dimer resulted in membrane destabilization in the simulation, which may lead to cell death in organisms. So yeah, they'll have to test this in a different model, I guess. I really wish all these papers came out before my thesis defense, like there's so much I could have referenced then. Not that I can vouch for the validity of the methods, like we, uh, just a disclaimer on a minor in general, we don't read the original papers, we just summarize the abstracts, so we can't 
comment on the quality of the uh, data. Uh, we're just trying to give you a snapshot of what came out. And uh, if you're interested, you can check it more in depth, which I will do for some of these papers. <laughs> now back to our train of papers on A-beta-1240. The next paper is titled Functionalized Mesoporous Silicus Direct Structural Polymorphism of Amyloid Beta Fibrils. It was published in a journal called Langmuir, so L-A-N-G-M-U-I-R. I didn't know this journal, so I looked it up. It is a journal published by the American Chemical Society, and it covers research in the areas of uh, colloid chemistry or surface and colloid chemistry, if that's of interest to you. The authors of this paper are Lucas, first author, and last author is Cates. And the, what they did is that they looked at the effect of mesoporous silicas modified with hydrophobic and hydrophilic groups on amyloid fibril formation. They also wanted to develop a better method for structure function investigation. Hydrophilic modified silica, when added to a beta 1240 peptide, produce fibrils similar to control conditions at similar rate. Hydrophobic modification on the silica, on the other hand, sped up or accelerated the formation of fibrils that better represented ones found in AD patients. So this potentially serves as the, or this will potentially serve as the material of choice for studying other amyloid forming proteins. Okay, we have talked quite a bit about amyloid beta 1 to 40. Now the next set of papers also look at aggregation near or on a membrane, but using a beta 1 to 42. So we these two extra residues. This one is called amyloid beta 42 peptide aggregation rate and mechanism on surfaces with widely varied properties. Two points, insights from Brownian dynamic simulations. You'll find it in the Journal of Physical Chemistry B, published by Choco, first author, and last author is Chang. And these authors wanted to understand the interaction of A-beta peptide with various lipid membranes and the properties of these membranes. They carried out computer simulation of molecular dynamics between free A-beta-42, either membrane-associated or free A-beta-42 dimers. Okay, so what they're looking at here in other terms is amyloid beta to amyloid beta interactions, depending on whether one of those amyloid beta species is free or membrane bound. Okay, various properties and mechanisms of association are measured under different membrane and solution conditions. They report that A-beta-42 interacts with dimers on its surface electrostatically, which is greater affected by membrane charge and affinity to A-beta-42. I feel like this would have been quite relevant when I was designing my experiments. I did all of mine in tubes, like low bind tubes. By the way, if you're just starting working with A-beta oligomers and aggregates, and you don't know this, like I didn't for a few months, use low bind tubes to, you know, uh, minimize a loss of protein that tends to bind to the tubes. I didn't know that for a while, so hopefully this saves you some time. <laughs> Another paper that tied nicely with the previous one is titled um, Ion Channel Formation by N-Terminally Truncated A-Beta 4 to 42. 
Relevance for the Pathogenesis of Alzheimer's Disease. It was published in a journal called Nanomedicine, Nanotechnology, Biology, and Medicine by one author. No, these are, no, no, this is a group, not one author. First off is Karki Saval, and last author is Lau. And the, these authors in this paper wanted to further understand the effect of Ebola species with N and C terminal truncation in AD. So different uh, truncated species. To do this, they studied A-beta 4 to 42 peptide. Sneaky. <laughs> so not 1 to 42, they truncated it, uh, truncated to 4 to 42. And uh, they used atomic force microscopy and electrophysiology in their study. They found A-beta 4 to 42 formed stable ion channel in biological membrane that can be blocked by antibody targeting its N-terminal truncation. A C-terminally truncated variant, so this one was truncated on the other side, 4 to 34, so not 4 to 42, 4 to 34, had reduced channel stability, and this illustrates the function of each terminus for A-beta activity in Alzheimer's disease. Okay, one more on amyloid beta aggregates and membranes. It is published in scientific reports. Good month for scientific reports in A-beta, I guess. And first author is Kuragano, last author is Tokuraku. And the title is Three-Dimensional Real-Time Imaging of Amyloid Beta Aggregation on Living Cells. Using pre-established confocal laser microscopy, this group monitored A-beta-42 aggregation in real time. Oh, how cool. They showed a propensity to aggregate as sites of membrane protrusions, which is a bit reminiscent of what I presented earlier with the other uh, paper on uh, membrane curvature. Um, and here they report that this process was linked to actin-mediated cell motility. Aggregates remained at the same location after formation, suggesting plaques originated from debris of dead cells with A-beta deposits. Now we're near the halfway point of this section. Let me catch my breath. I'll be back. Okay, now moving away a little from membranes onto oligomer formation in general. This is a tricky subject because oligomers are not super well defined and they're poorly understood. So I'm curious to see what this month's batch of papers talks about. This one was published in Journal of the American Chemical Society by Sam Din, first author, and last author is Nowick. It is titled, Effects of N-Terminal Residues on the Assembly of Constrained Beta-Herpin Peptides Derived from Amyloid Beta. Here, the authors build upon their previous X-ray crystallography and SDS page studies of central to C-terminal fragment of A-beta. This time, they shift their attention to the function of A-beta N-terminus rather than C-terminus due to recent evidence suggesting its role initiating oligomer formation. But like we saw earlier, 
my understanding based on just those abstracts. Um, N terminus seem to be more involved in uh, a beta aggregation process, while C terminus seems to be involved in interaction with membranes, for example. And this is based on the other papers I just presented. Uh, so this actually makes sense here, based on that. A beta peptides were previously found to form hexamers or beta hairpins. So here, they were modified with differing N-terminal extensions, adding 1 to 14 uh, extensions. And the addition of one N-terminal amino acid to the original peptide resulted in dimer and trimer formations. These dimers, like the two monomers and trimers, which are three, um, these dimers and trimers then moved on to form hexamers. The group showed this using X-ray crystallography. These results agree with a model of bonding and packing of central to C-terminal segment and unstructured N-terminus in A-beta oligomer. Okay, now more on oligomers. The next paper is titled Amyloid Beta Oligomerization Monitored by Single Molecule Stepwise Photobleaching. It was published in Methods by Dresser, first author, last author is Queen. And this group wanted to address the limitation of traditional protocols, such as with thioflavin T. Oh, I used thiot in my work. Uh, I was looking at beta sheet formation. It's a limited assay, that's true. Here, the authors used a combinatorial approach to investigate small oligomer formation with molecular resolution. Oh, okay. Stepwise photobleaching of fluorescent dye binding to A-beta N-terminus allows to identify different oligomers in a sample through counting the number of assembled peptides in each oligomer. Cool. Imaging using a calcium-sensitive dye allows for observation of cellular disruption by oligomer activity over time. Together, these techniques resolve the shortcomings and sensitivity of previous methods and provide a new avenue to elucidate protein aggregation processes. Another paper I wish were published before I finish my master's. Oh well, the next paper looks at different subsets of oligomers made up of 2 to 8 units of amyloid beta monomers. This paper is titled X-ray crystallography reveals parallel and anti-parallel beta sheet dimers of a beta herpin derived from a beta 16 to 36 that assembles to form different tetramers. So the uh, there's a truncated version of 16 to 36, not 1 to 42, like I presented earlier. This one was published in ACS Chemical Neuroscience by first author Kruzer, last author is Nowick. This group wanted to better understand how amyloid beta dimers form. Again, with dimers being the duet form, if this is new to you. And um, with X-ray crystallography, they show that dimer, tetramer, and octamer structures assembled from a peptide that consists of the central and C-terminal portion of A beta. The data show a number of different routes of assembly and present a possible model for the process in AD brain. Okay, almost done with this section. Bear with me. The next paper is titled Cryo-EM Structure of Islet Amyloid Polypeptide Fibrils Reveals Similarities with Amyloid Beta Fibrils. It was published in Natural Structural and Molecular Biology by first author Roder, 
last author's shoulder. This group employed a cryo-EM to characterize three main isoforms of islet amyloid polypeptide. These form amyloid fibrils and are associated with beta cell loss and type 2 diabetes. Their result supports the link between type 2 diabetes and AD and shows structural similarity between islet amyloid polypeptide isoform leading to early onset type 2 diabetes and A beta with AD arctic mutation. The next paper also looks at islet amyloid polypeptides with a focus on glycation. If you're wondering, glycation is the unassisted addition of sugar onto proteins, and this occurs at a higher rate with increased sugar levels. This paper is titled The Role of Glycation on the Aggregation Properties of Islet Amyloid Polypeptide. It was published in Frontiers in Molecular Biosciences by first author Milordini, last author is Pastore. This group was spurred by the correlation between diabetes and the increased risk of AD. I too am spurred by this. There's actually something many groups are looking at, and perhaps some drug used in type 2 diabetes can be repurposed for AD. If you're interested in this, check out our episode on repurposing or refining existing drugs and techniques. Another thing, if you don't want to listen to the whole episode, you can check the bibliography associated with each episode and look out these papers so you don't have to listen to the whole thing. Okay, in this paper, the authors looked into the role glycation plays in protein aggregation. They used spectroscopic techniques, mass spectrometry, and atomic force microscopy to monitor the changes in islet amyloid polypeptide, which behaves similarly to A-beta in diabetes due to glycation. Hmm. They found, at odd with current literature, that the modification slows down aggregation. Are you still with me? Okay, good. Now is a paper titled N-Terminal Heterogeneity of Parenchymal and Vascular Amyloid Beta Deposits in Alzheimer's Disease. It was published in Neuropathology and Applied Neurobiology by first author Tekirian. First author is Gedes or Gedes, G-E-D-E-S. These authors wanted to determine the distribution of A-beta peptides with and without N-terminal truncations in AD patient brains. They used tissue samples from sporadic AD cases and assayed them with antibodies, including biosimilar bapirinozumab and crinizumab. They observed strong reactivity of A-beta without truncation in vascular deposits and for A-beta truncated to phenylalanine at position 4 in parenchymal deposits. Bapinozumab shows greater activity in fixed tissue sample than for SDS denatured sample when compared to other antibodies also targeting A-beta, um, truncated versions of A-beta. These results point to possible conformational preferences. This is one paper that we almost sorted under uh, cerebrovascular changes, I think. So if you're interested in vasculature, uh, I'd encourage you to check our episode on cerebrovascular uh, changes in AD, which would be under disease mechanisms. Now on to a paper on amyloid beta monomers, if you're interested in the smallest unit of amyloid beta. 
This one was published in Journal of Chemical Information and Modeling by first author Lee, L-I. Last author is Lee, L-E-E. -E. Its title is Impact of A2V Mutation and Histidine Tautomerism on A-beta-42 monomer structures from atomistic simulations. The authors in this paper used molecular dynamic simulation to look at chemical connectivity change in histidine residue. They're interested in the effect this has on A-beta-42 structure with alanine 2 valine mutation at position 2, hence A2V. So the mutated A-beta-42 version, which is A-beta-42-A2V, generally shows greater beta sheet content compared to wild type. This suggests that it has a stronger tendency to aggregate. These findings corroborate with previous studies, or they're in line with the previous studies, simpler word. Now, the next and last paper is titled, Hydrazides are potent transition state analogs for glutaminyl cyclase implicated in the pathogenesis of Alzheimer's disease. Okay, there are a lot of words here that bring major uh, memories from my undergrad organic chemistry courses. <laughs> this one was published in Biochemistry by first author Kupski, last author is Tetman. So to start, there's literature linking AD plaques to A-beta peptides with N-terminal cyclized glutamate residues. Based on this, this group focused on glutaminyl cyclase, which carries out N-terminal glutamate cyclization as a side reaction. I think this is another paper you might need to make a diagram on the side as you read it. They use crystallography to determine the catalytic transition state structure and find that hydrazides potentially inhibit glutaminyl cyclase activity. I'm reading this quite slow because these words are complicated. <laughs> it seems like this happens through the binding of the essential zinc cofactor. Ah, zinc again. These findings present a new avenue for designing AD therapeutic compounds. Okay, so we finished on a complicated and interesting one. Congratulations, you made it through this very daunting section. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast and sign up for the mailing list if you want access to our bibliography for this and all other episodes. The steps are on light in the episode notes, so make sure you check those. If you're interested in the literature on amyloid beta, come back for the episode on amyloid-mediated pathology in AD, coming out shortly. And last but not least, Special thanks to Clay Shu, who summarized all these and made it very easy for me to script. This was his first time working with us, and he did a tremendous job, right? My name is Sarah Luigi, and it was a pleasure to script, host, and edit this episode. Good luck with your research. That's it for this episode. A huge thank you to the team that is working on sorting, summarizing, and scripting these abstracts, as well as the operations behind Aminder. The music is from Journey of a Neurotransmitter by Anusha Kamesh, musician and fellow scientist, and a member of the Aminder team. You can find the original piece and her other music on SoundCloud under Anusha Kamesh or on her YouTube channel, AK Music. Interested in joining the team? Give us a shout! We can always use help with content development, podcast editing, advertising, and you can be part of a new and exciting venture. 
Reach us by email at aminderpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter. Oh, we're also on Facebook now. Don't forget to subscribe to our mailing list if you want access to the bibliography for each of our episodes. The references come with timestamps. Hmm, timestamps. So you can more easily locate the paper that caught your interest. Check our notes below for details on how to sign up. And very close to this, you'll also find a link to our feedback survey. Because, yeah, your feedback matters to us. So please, pretty please, let us know how we can make this podcast a better tool for you. And last but not least, thank you for tuning in with us. And on this note, we hope you found our podcast useful and accessible. Until next time.